hello and welcome to the No Breaking Podcast. Today, I've made the trip south to visit a Mr. Joe Scarbo from Scarbo Performance. Joe, how are you doing today? Very good. And I must say, this has been a long time coming. Third time we've rescheduled, all because of me. And I... You get it done. I very much appreciate you making the time for me, even though I was still an hour or so late today. It's all right. It's LA traffic. It is. It is. Um, Can we quickly jump into what you've been up to since I last spoke to you. Since the last time you spoke, the uh, Olympics came and went, Mm -hmm. and uh, we did a lot of development for our Olympic team for their four-man bobsled, and um, that was an exciting process. And uh, now that that has moved on, we're back to a ton of car projects per usual. Um, as well as some non-car projects. Yes, but, uh, coming in your office, there's lots of lot. Well, there's lots of projects here for start. Probably not work-related projects. First off, you see, and then you see some of the work-related projects, which is some work which seems automotive, some non-automotive. As I see a sculpture to the right of us here. Yes, it's it's all work. It's all work. It's all. Work. But some you have to pay money for, and some people pay money to you. I guess that's a difference Perhaps. between a work and a hobby. I that's suppose. the difference between R and D and paid projects. Yeah. So can you talk at all a little bit about the bobsled project? Yeah. So uh, specifically, which year? I think it was about three years ago. We got involved with the bobsled development through BMW Group, and worked tons and tons of hours with BMW to develop that sled. Um, it was a very fun program. Um, the athletes are incredible. Um, and we worked hard to develop a sled and built a few sleds for the Olympics. And um, there were a lot of things that happened before the Olympics uh, that are absolutely horrible. Uh, Steve Holcomb's one of the best Olympic drivers in the world. Developing the sled with him was phenomenal. And um, very sad to not have him with us anymore. But but he left a lot with the other athletes and taught so much and always had a smile on his face. And And did you get a chance to go down the bobsled? I did. So I went down with Steve Holcomb in Park City. Okay. Also went down with Cody Baskew in Lake Placid, New York. And extremely violent ride. How... Pleasant was it then in this extremely violent ride for the however long, like the sixty-five seconds or whatever it was. Very unpleasant, and okay. yes, that it's about what the the runtime is. But uh, they Cody took myself and two other PR people for a ride in Lake Placid, and to give you an idea of how violent it is, the gentleman sitting behind me broke one of his vertebrae on the way down. So you're saying it's like an easy ride? Oh, basically. it's, it's yeah. super smooth. Super smooth. No, so, and then. Also, if it was you and two PR people, I'm guessing, and the driver, I'm guessing you were the one doing all the pushing at the start to run uh, in? For sure. For yeah. sure. My physique is just so good. They just called on me to make sure that thing had a lot of speed off the top of the hill. No, whenever they take somebody down, you sit up and they give you a nice little Gen- gentle push. And so what's the time difference then that we go down when you went down versus what the actual athletes do? How many seconds off is it? To be honest, I have no idea what our time was, but from what I've seen, it's probably five seconds off which is huge in anything competitive yes but, but in, in one, real lifetime it's you, not you, you still get up to i feel like the athletes get up to 85 or 90 miles an hour and we probably got up to 75 80 miles an hour yeah so it's not it's splitting hairs for anyone who hasn't been in a bobsled it's insane yeah yeah 
So. And uh, does that mean you might be doing anything in the future then? Perhaps. So uh, there's been some discussion with our U.S. Olympic team to see uh, what's in the future, and we'll just see what happens. And then what else have you been doing aside from that when the Olympics are over? What was the next project that dropped in your lap? Next project? Um, tons of projects fall in my lap. Um, a friend of my, this was in January, so technically the bobsleds were kind of wrapped up for me, obviously, prior to the Olympics. But um, a friend of my dad's has a 58 Corvette, pretty sure that's the year, 58 or 57. And that he had an independent front suspension aftermarket kit he really wanted to put on. And uh, he brought his car by and all the parts by, and it had disc brake kit, whatever. Um, and just the way we've come to do things here is some, somewhat specific. And you always want to know what you're building before you start cutting things apart, especially if it's not clear what you're going to be doing. So with our laser scanner, we basically got everything apart we need to get apart, scanned every component, scanned the entirety of the car. We knew all the suspension geometry before we built a single thing. And it wasn't supposed to go down that road. It was supposed to be, oh, well, let's just weld on a subframe. And I couldn't bring myself to just weld something on that I didn't know was going to work properly first. So that was a fun project. And uh, we did electric power-assisted steering in it and um, HydroBoost. Uh, hydraulic assisted brakes made it a really nice driver so uh, my dad's friend brought that car to Hawaii where he has a second home and which is nice beautiful car for Hawaii yeah yep. I mean the only one you want other than that would be a Magnum PI Ferrari right exactly which hopefully is not owned by driven by Tom Selleck he's too tall, <laughs> too tall. but uh, and then what about the other things that you've got in the go I mean you've just taken me for a walk around the shop yes so um, and there's more than enough projects that you've got there is a an older RSR recreation. We do a bunch of roll cages mm -hmm. um, and harness bars. Uh, Batim Barisha, owner of BBI, we do a ton of work for him. And um, so the, it, currently in the shop, there's an RSR uh, that I believe another dealer is building. And then we actually, not in our shop, but it's in the shop next door, is a Miata, like a spec Miata that we're doing some intercooler pipe plumbing and some other safety stuff is that um, just for it's for a company across the street called 949 racing that okay. does a ton of miata race stuff and um there is a the body for a vehicle we spent the last eight months designing um a customer of mine in kansas scarab motorsports he does recreation scarabs and he has a client in Wisconsin that wanted to do that had purchased a Troy Roadster, which was, I believe, one of one built in Detroit in the 50s. So he flew us up to Wisconsin. I scanned that whole car as a design reference. And then per his suggestions or wants, we kind of tuned up what the body looked like okay. and then built a uh, designed a full tube chassis within it with obviously inboard dampers and rockers and designed all the suspension, placed the drive line. Um, Scarab Motorsports in Kansas ended up building the chassis. Um, we made a lot of the billet components, shipped them out, and um, Luke DeLay built the handmade aluminum body, which is in the shop currently. And so. then how long does it take you to scan something that is something of that size? A full-size car takes two to four hours, okay. roughly, to capture the data. 
Um, and then after that, a ton of hours in modeling from that. Yeah, I'm going to assume it's not quite as easy as one might think. Especially surface modeling um, is more time consuming. When it comes to or, uh, mechanical geometry, like a tube chassis or a plane with a bolt pattern, that's very easy. Uh, the equipment we have, you can pull a plane and a bolt pattern within thousandths of an inch immediately, like so quick, and start designing straight from that. But point cloud data and um, surface modeling is far more time consuming. And is I will say now, so you've got a lot of equipment here that you do use on the regular to make it easy for you. Do you find that the technology that's advancing is certainly helping the way you're able to create and produce the products that you're making or helping people out in projects? Okay, so my brain went a thousand different directions with your question. I've spent a lot of my life building things with a tape measure and a plumb bob. Uh -huh. And the first time I ever, I, I actually used um, a colleague of mine had a ferro arm that's just a probe, not a scanner, that he let me use for a project. And the first time I used this thing after measuring things with a tape measure and calipers, it's like cheating. Right? Okay. So the technology takes you from spending eight to 15 hours trying to really make sure you have a complicated bolt pattern to five minutes and it's within a thousandth of an inch. So the equipment is insanely powerful and you just have to work the eight to 15 hours to be able to afford to buy the equipment. That's guess, true. Trade Hands down. And yeah. it's the way my company is set up because of the fact that all of our projects end up in the computer makes it very useful to have this equipment. If we were doing maybe less involved jobs or as, hey, weld a bracket here, weld a bracket there, the equipment would never have to come out. But for some reason, we get these very elaborate projects where there's a lot of geometry involved and tolerances are tight. And if you didn't have that tool, it would make it far more difficult. And, and even today, there's a lot of fab shops that will hand fab something and it looks fantastic. And there's certain ways to do it by hand that makes sense. But I would love to have a drag race with a uh, guy that hand fabs something like a roll cage, for example, versus scanning, designing in the computer, making one-to-one -one templates, and using our CNC plasma tube cutter to notch all the tube. It's just, it's so rewarding because it's like instant gratification. Well, I always guess I just want to see the offcuts and see how much, who's got more offcuts. It's probably the easiest way to do it for a roll cage. Yep. Yep. I mean, it's one way to think of it. Yeah. Um, so, but... Also, with that in mind, though, with them being the the advances in technology here in Southern California, how does it? How do you feel you have with all these other, especially the, the industries? I will say, aside from the automotive one, do you think there's a an exceedingly big talent pool for just ideas and projects for you to work on that you've got people to compete with that makes the development and the design push everyone along in that respect? There's I, obviously, this this equipment's not extremely new, mm -hmm. but it's relatively new at the price point that it's at nowadays. So, I don't know if you looked at twenty shops in this area that work on automotive type things. So, you have a lot of mechanic shops that either do Porsche work or mm -hmm. Ferrari work or whatever. Um, they have very specific equipment tailored to working on cars. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like my business is somewhat of a niche in the fact that we are really an engineering firm 
that does design and development based in the motorsport and automotive realm. So we have equipment tailored to that. And people are starting to know that if they have a certain type of project, we have the tools and capabilities to just hammer that project out. The same way if you had a Porsche and you went to a renowned Porsche shop, they have all the tools, all the guys with the talent, and they'll knock that job out quicker and more cost-effectively than anybody else will just because of their skill set. Um, and I absolutely love the design side and having the tools like the scanner and CNC stuff to build the parts is it's amazing. So it's my dream come true. So since you have all the tools and the, the push in that direction, have you ever felt that when you've been working on some of your own projects that you've maybe a touch over-engineered it a little bit or maybe gone a little bit further than you might have needed to do? There's a point where we have a... Um, I mean, I've, this is a difficult question for you to answer, obviously, <laughs> because you're like, well, it, no, it's, it's not. It's not. And I was just trying to figure out how to word it. We had a uh, Nissan Titan that came into the shop. And just like every project, each customer has their own list of requirements for each car that you build for them. And depending on what that list is, my goal is always to try to build something that checks all of their boxes. And occasionally that's very difficult. But when this Nissan truck came in, the goal was try to build something that would perform in Mexico, pre-running the way he wanted to, mm -hmm. yet make it cost-effective to build. I mean, it's not an endless budget. 99% of projects aren't endless budget. And we Even tried. No matter how big that budget is, correct. There's we, always still we, a limit. We tried to go down that road, and like most of these development projects, they do snowball. And it's you know, well, we want this much wheel travel. Well, then we have to place the drivetrain here. Well, our plan was not to cut away the original cab. Well, if we don't cut away the original cab, then we can't do what we wanted to do. So things like that, you know, the project evolves on its own. And you go down the path to check the boxes that the customer wants. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm you, assuming there's a priority list as well of what they want. And usually the budget is the first thing that says goodbye. To says it. goodbye. Yeah. Because somebody wants their thing the way that they want it, and they're not willing to give up any of their yeah. original requirements. Um, so in regard to over-engineering, whether it's my projects or someone else, I probably over-engineer everyone else's products projects before my own okay because i just i want to get it done and i can live with the things that weren't done. and you can maybe fix it in the and future. i can and i can i can always circle back whereas someone with a budget is like well i paid once i'd be really unhappy if i have to pay a little bit more a second time and come back for sure so this uh nissan truck in the rear has push rod suspension that actuates a big rocker and just the way that the geom the geometry worked out in a certain way that was ideal and now it's up to me to make sure that structurally that rocker assembly is appropriate. And I've redesigned it probably four times now, really on my own time, because I haven't been happy with it, nor has the design approach been cost effective to produce. I mean, we could make this whole thing out of one billet piece and it's two feet by three feet. You know, it's just not practical to make from billet. Um, it can be a weldment, definitely needs to be a heat treated assembly. So, the way that this thing is, it just needs more love. And my customer came to me and he said, well, can't we just have these parts made? And I'm not personally ready. I'll bury more of my own time without billing, but I'm not personally really ready to kick it off because it's not quite where I think it should be. 
There's a chance we could make it the way it's designed currently, and it would maybe live. What maybe work fine? It maybe work fine, but I'm just not ready. <laughs> so I'm weird that way. I just want it to be correct. Well, I also understand it as well as when you send something out. If you're spending and involved a lot of your own time into it, it could be like your own little like pro- it's your little project you're taking on, and you want it to go as best you can be. For sure. And so, if it takes a few more hours, that maybe doesn't get passed along to get it working, then why not? So everybody wants their toy now, 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 and um, we have a lot of projects you got to filter through and prioritize your tasks. But um, I try to work with everyone's timeline and get them the thing that I feel is ready to go. Sure. So uh, speaking of projects, you're actually going to be letting one of your projects go. Yes. So the uh, our first prototype SVF1 formula car will be. Um, will be auctioned at the Mecham auction in Monterey on Friday the 24th? Is Friday the 24th? I think so. Okay. Yeah, Friday the 24th. Motor week, right? Yes, correct. Car week, I should say. Um, Part of it is that I already have way too many other projects. Mm -hmm. It's a reason to get rid of it. Uh, Subconsciously... um, I don't know if my family scenario has drawn my time away, but I have not raced it since my son was born. Mm-hmm. And um, so it does sit in the shop. And we've done quite a few track days with it, just not sanctioned races through um, SVRA or HMSA. But uh, so it will be auctioned, and then that'll give us some time and space to focus on some other projects. And then my current. I really want to see how it goes in Monterey. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, my plan is, if that car ends up selling, to start building for next year a McLaren M7A. Okay. So very similar in look to the car we've built already. Um, but this next car will have a bit more power, some aerodynamics, um, a different drive line. Is there anything you can take from the the prototype that you can use? To move uh, it? Almost a hundred percent. That's fantastic. Yes. That makes it a little bit easier. Yeah. So it's basically the same exact chassis, same exact suspension, same power plant, but more power. Um, Is it going to be the same system where you can do the different tunes kind of thing that we talked about before? For sure. Yeah. Um, like the, the novice, like, PR journalist one, which is, like, 12 horsepower. Yeah. And then, like, the regular one, and then the, the e- super exactly. performance one. Yeah. So um, the guy that did the ECU uh, programming initially, uh, Brett Strom, it'd basically be the same ECU as before and the same program that he's already written. So same switches, way. same yeah. wiring harness. Same and then why, that car, why are you picking that one? The McLaren. Yeah. So... I've been going back and forth between the Gurney e- 67 Gurney Eagle and like the six, I think this it's a 68 McLaren M7A. But um, when I race the car, SVRA puts me in group nine versus group two. Group nine is specified as post-1973 open wheel cars, which they call wings and slicks. Mm-hmm. And group two is pre-1973 open wheel cars. Technically speaking, I should be running the car in group two problem is is that the majority of the cars in that class are four-cylinder powered and they don't want me to go out with a replica type car and, be, and dominate the field yes. it's going to upset a lot of people yes so they put me in group nine depending on which race even in group nine the svf1 does pretty well 
Um, HMSA. I'm sure it only does well with you behind the wheel. Oh, exactly. I mean, I mean, you're the one that makes a big difference there. Um, I raced go-karts as a kid. I did pretty well doing that. I don't think my driving career has evolved into anything stellar, but um, it is a riot to drive. Um, that car qualified on pole at the HMSA Invitational at the Thermal Club, which was a good time. Lost a half shaft, actually, in first heat, unfortunately. Um, and then another race we did was the, they say the last Coronado Festival of Speed. I don't know if they're going to do another one. But we qualified, or I qualified, I want to say sixth or seventh. And in the main event, there's a video on my Instagram page, actually, because I was just so obsessed with the car after this weekend, based on how it did. But I think in the first corner, we were into third place behind like a 97 Indy Lights car and a uh -huh. Formula Atlantic car, a ton of Formula Ford. I was the only car in the class with no wings. Yeah. And absolutely phenomenal to, to um, run that race. I think we finished fifth at the end of that weekend. I think there were 19 cars in the class. So... Being the class that it was, phenomenal. Yeah, good result. Especially good result. No, no wings. So yeah, after that, wings. after that race, we, I went to uh, Circuit of the Americas for their uh, vintage national championships, mm -hmm. and I was thinking, you know, Group Two, same thing. I mean, Group Nine, I could, I could, should do well. Dominate. Dominate. I should dominate. Could I crush and then I come them? to find that when you're at Circuit of the Americas, the crowd that shows up for that race is a little different than the Coronado Festival Speed. There was a 1997 Benetton F1 car, an 06 Target Chip Ganassi Indy car. I mean, it's not even close to fair. You get on the back straight at Coda, and I'm in fifth gear halfway through that back straight, and these cars go past me banging gears like it's going out of style. <laughs> and at that moment, I'm just like, Jesus. Either you want to be like I, I either wanted to build another one of my cars that had an EcoBoost in it so that they would be more apt to put me in group two. Okay. Like an EcoBoost that makes 300 and some odd horsepower is going to be totally fast enough in that car. Mm -hmm. So I could either go that route, which mm, I doesn't really, I don't feel does that type of car much justice. Although for a driver's car, maybe phenomenal. Um, or I could just pump the horsepower from maybe 425 to 550, 575, and then more robust transaxle, limited slip diff, and some arrow. And now maybe we can compete a little better. Yeah. So that seemed like the way to go. And the Gurney Eagle, um, Dan Gurney, I think, won at Spa in 1967 in that car. Yeah, when his week, like his 10 days of greatness. Yes, won Le Mans which then, yeah. anybody should be so lucky. Um, that car doesn't have any arrow. Would be a phenomenal car to build. But because of the fact that I'm going for a little bit of arrow, I feel like the next best-looking car is the McLaren. Other cars, Lotus 49 would be neat to build too. But once again, I, th I think the McLaren's the... Look, you all have everyone's preferences. The man. next one. I, I, we, you at the end of the day, I want to build them all. So that's yeah. the thing. I mean, if, if this whole thing in Monterey goes well, then we'll do a McLaren for next year. Then yep. maybe we do a Gurney Eagle for the year after. Then we'll do a Lotus 49. And it's all the same chassis. I'm not trying to, to uh, talk up the car, but that car I've raced... I think in three or four sanctioned events, probably done 12 track days, and there's no break where I, I, it's been through nothing. I mean, I just say 
I'm not even bigging it up because I can't afford to bid in it. I can't afford to buy the program to get into bid, to be honest. But it is a very beautiful car. And aesthetically, performance aside and reliability aside, it just looks, it's neat to have sitting in the shop. Yeah. It's, you come in at night to the shop to have a beer and turn on the fluorescent lights, and it is gorgeous. Yeah. That car is so – it's a testament to uh, our friends in Italy that have a very good team of designers. So speaking of uh, friends in Italy, what's sitting above it right now? Uh, 355 GTB. So you've got the car that I want to get. Okay, well – Get on it now. I'm trying. ASAP. I'm trying. If only I had the, the money to purchase it. Like I said, I still can't buy the bidding to get into the program. Well, I can't buy the program to get into bid, but you know what I'm saying. So, like me, I have that thing apart currently. and um, uh, Because it's so easy. Isn't it just four bolts? Four engine bolts, drops out. Whole Ferrari comes 15 apart. 15 minutes done. Yep. Everything. And then four bolts back in. Just do it in your home garage. Just put. Don't even need jack stands. That's it. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm going through that thing pretty much every nut, bolt, and fastener and deciding right now if the engine out surface is something to be done before we button up everything else. Um, but, yes, that's one of my favorite cars of all time. And I'm extremely – I'm ecstatic that I got my hands on a red on tan GTB gated six-speed 355. So what was the that pushed you in that direction to go for the 355? Um, the movie – James Bond, Goldeneye, opening okay. scene, hands down. I was, I think, 11 years old at the time. So it was just pure Pierce Brosnan? It, uh, it was Pierce Brosnan. It had nothing to do with the cars. Just sure. Pierce Brosnan. Although I do head. think that and Pierce Brosnan may be one of the best James Bonds of all time. Boy, I, so I know that's controversial. I, oh. it, very, very. Uh, you're, not, you're not giving my man George Lazenby the credit he deserves. <laughs> um, yeah. Sean Connery and Pierce Brosnan for me are... Look, everyone has favorites. Everyone has favorites. Like I said, George Lazenby. Don't sleep on George. That's what I'll say. <laughs> but, um, no, I think I've watched that scene. in. I, when I was in high school, I, had a, I bought a projector for my room and probably watched that opening scene hundreds of times. So for me to finally get my hands on the car that was in that scene is just And did you play awesome. the GoldenEye video game on the Nintendo... Definitely. See? Yeah, spent a lot of hours playing Goldeneye on N64. It's the only way friends. to... Look, it's the best, the best game on the N64. Yep. Um, and not only that, Sean Bean, the satellite falls in him, right? At the end. Of, um... Goldeneye. Is that oh, the one? yes. Where Sean Bean's like, he's death by satellite that falls from the sky, I, I think. I think so. The thing that's funny is I said I've watched the beginning scene about a hundred times. You just don't watch the end. I just don't watch that's the it. end. You're like, a, when Robbie Coltrane comes on, I've had enough. I don't want any more of that. That Done. guy knows too much about taking cars apart in the desert. But that's a different story. So, before you've started taking it apart, what was it like with the 355 driving? Was it still... Did it live up to your expectations of James Bond? Did you feel just like Pierce Brosnan driving around Spain? Because this car was in, in very great condition when I purchased it. Eh, I mean, it ran and drive fi drove fine, but it definitely had something going on with the exhaust, like most 355s. Sure. Um, I don't think it had the sound it should have had because I feel like part of the exhaust was plugged. But um, the... The shift lever and the gate in and of itself to drive and look at is amazing. It's what a Ferrari should be, I think. Um, and uh, it's a neat little car. Sure. sure. And then, obviously, at the back there, you've got something, some other uh, more German cars that you've been working on as well. 
More German cars. Uh, the RSR. Okay, yes. And so then your one that's upstairs, it's not quite. Correct. So um, the RSR that's out there is just a half cage for another company that's building it. Uh, my Porsche is back up on the mezzanine because I, I'll bring it down when I'm feeling like maybe we should work on it. Mm-hmm. And then I it goes back on the mezzanine as soon as I'm broke. Sure. So, yeah. um, so it's sitting... And that doesn't help, I guess, when you've got all the other projects. N- no. Yeah. I need to focus on, on, on work. But we haven't even started on the remote control cars yet. No. Which, oof. Um, but the Porsche upstairs is an ongoing development. And... Uh, it started life as a 65 912 that uh, I think I talked about this with you before. But um, now at least I have all the tangible hard goods here. Um, so what's the net goal in the end when it finally gets, when you do get the time to put the project together? Net goal would be to vintage race it, mm-hmm. which is going to be hilarious. Because technically I think PCA and POC being that has a Porsche tub and title, chassis and title, and a Porsche drivetrain. Um, I can compete in POC, PCA, and SCCA. And uh, being that it has a water-cooled 997 Twin Turbo full drivetrain, um, that car, we could make a 1,000 horsepower fairly easy. And uh, four-wheel drive and some aero and some Michelin Cup car slicks and giant Brembo brakes. So you're saying you don't want to stack the deck in your favor... But potentially the deck might be stacked in your favor. I, I think that I'm not going to make comments about 935s, which are insane, but this car should be in 935 territory. If not, uh, the arrow, I don't know if I can get quite as much arrow, but uh, we'll see. I mean, when do we get, what's the project timeline now is what we all want to know. Um, it may come off the mezzanine again. To start finishing the chassis, the chassis is pretty much there. Um, there's odds and ends to tie up, but um, a arms still need to be built, uprights need to be built, still need to be designed. Do you know but, a designer that can do that? Uh, it's all in house, all right here. Um, <laughs> but when I come back from Monterey, depending on what the workload is, I might get on it for a little bit. Longer. Now, is this your first time? Going to Monterey, or are you this a regular? How many times? I have, you have been? been up to the historics a few times, but I wouldn't say that I've ever done Monterey in its entirety of Car Week. Um, actually, I went to the um, a company that I worked for was Kepler Motors way back when we designed and built a supercar that we brought to the Concourse Italiano. Jeez, mm-hmm. I don't know, 2010 ish. Yep. We went up for that, and that was kind of like a shotgun. I mean, bring the car up, show it for the day, and come back. The historics are different. I feel like if you're involved with the team that's racing or racing, that's what you're doing. You Certainly, know? yeah. Um, unless you are you own the team or own all the Unless you own the team, cars, yeah, then maybe you're, you're like, out you at the quail you or you're doing and all the other turn events. up and be like, is my car ready yet? Come on. Get it done. I'm not there, unfortunately. We all wish. They're yes. Dreams, right? For dreams. Sure, for sure. Um but helicopter in it's the easiest way but this is going to be my first time going up i don't know how much time i'm actually going to spend at the auction i obviously have to get the car loaded in and make sure that it's you know yeah, taken care, care of or whatever there, but sure yeah but um what else i'll have some time to kind of so have you thought about what events you're going to go i zero do? zero unfortunately you need to just give me an itinerary well when, when are you getting in that's the important thing wednesday the 22nd where are you staying staying at the monterey dunes hotel mm-hmm. Is that in 
I'm assuming it's Monterey. Or it's it in Teesside? Monterey. It's one of those things. As I started to go through hotels and what hotel and then you cost eat the was going to be, point. yeah, you realize. So I'm bringing uh, my wife, my son, and my father. Okay, we're so all it's a family going. Affair. It's a family affair, and we needed a two bedroom suite of some kind. Sure. So um, I found a room for those nights at this hotel, and it. I don't know if it's the place you would choose if you could choose any hotel to stay. Sure. But, um, but it's a shout-out to them now, and they should be giving you a discount once they hear this podcast. Exactly. It's a place to go. It was available, and it's relatively close to everything we may want to do. Yeah. So for us, that was kind of uh, – that checked all our boxes. The big one I would say that I always think is the best is the Thursday for the tour. That's the best one. The best bang for the buck is the tour because it's free. Gotcha. Um, so you go and you watch the tour. And you can see the cars go out, and you can see them. If you get up early enough, you can see them, or maybe you and your father, if you want to get up, and you can let your wife look after everyone else, see the cars leave and see them in the morning first thing. And where is this this downtown? That's at Pebble. Oh, it's at Pebble. So it leaves from Pebble. And then if you want to be adventurous, you can see it on the road. You can chase the rally and see them on the road, see them drive past. So it's on Thursday. It starts about what time? Eight in the morning. I think the cars leave. But you want to get there earlier than that so you can see them all start up and see them drive off. Starts at Pebble Beach. Yeah. Thursday yep. tour. See, I like your notes. He's taking everybody's taking notes. Yeah, right. But right. that's that's the best one. Definitely the best. Because you get to see them all, you get to hear them all, you get to see them all. And these and the cars, if they run that, they get points for Pebble Beach. So if it's a trade off and best in class or best in show, if you've run the tour and the other one didn't, then you get the win. Awesome. So it's good to see them all working. Well, I'm glad I'm very glad we did this now. No, it's helpful. Because the quail, while it is exceptional, is quite expensive. You know, I roughly what? How much it cost? Well, you have to buy the auction tickets now, which is like thirty five hundred dollars a ticket. Not happening. So, <laughs> of course, you have to get in early enough, and I think they're sold out this year, as always. Gotcha. But it's the and then the Saturday you want to. So the, generally, as a rule of thumb, is the Wednesday is the kickoff party at the hangar at the Monterey Airport, and then you've got Thursday would be the tour. What time is that at? That's at like five thirty p.m. Yeah. Perfect. So you get in there just to go to that. But provided that's I can get the car in. That's more of off. a booze fest as well, though. So that's going to get you drink on? I, I don't really drink. We'll see. Uh, I may be drinking right now as we're talking. Because it's the pressure I'm putting you under. It, it's, but yeah. it's, it's extreme. Um, but mostly you want to just get there for the Thursday. So At uh, which airport is it? Monterey Airport? Yeah. That's the, the Jet Center. And then Friday's the Quail. And then Friday you also have the Porsche event. You have the German car event. And I, then I think you've got the, the Saturday, you've got the like the Concorso Italiano, um, and then you've got the Lamborghini event, and then you've got the, obviously the cars at Monterey, and then Sunday's Pebble. Fantastic. Have you you going to be going to Pebble? I'm not go. I'm leaving Saturday. Oof. I got some work I got to do. Look, on Sunday. hey, got to pay the bills, right? To <laughs> pay for the dunes. How funny is that, right? Yeah. Um, obviously, these are my notes for future years as well. No, I recommend. So my fa- my mum and dad are coming. Perfect. So we're going to be going up to Pebble and looking for it. They're doing it for their first time as well. I like it. They're so, going with the right person. Well, hopefully. Hopefully someone that's been once or twice and, and avoid all the traffic as best as possible. Um, so we're going up Tuesday and doing the long drive up. Gotcha. So I've got to figure out when the long drive, I've got to figure out the route, what I'm going to take. But that's the idea. I think we are leaving Wednesday morning at about 3 a.m. to drive up to make sure that I can get the car in. Do you have to get it, cause I, do you have to get it in that early? I don't have to get it in that early, but it's going to take me eight hours or seven hours to get up there. Oh, Wednesday, no? it's, Wednesday, it's pretty easy. I mean, you can leave at a reasonable time of, say, six. 
maybe a little longer for you because you're deep in the OC. And but I'm even, towing a trailer. Oh, yeah, there's that too. But then even, the, it's still, well, I would never ever go over the speed limit, obviously, because I just stick and adhere to those signs. But um, I think towing and stopping with a baby. Yeah, the family <laughs> aspect is, it's just where I'm just lone gunning and I can just uh, iron man it the whole way there. Um, that makes a little bit of a difference. Yeah. Funky yellow filled water bottles getting thrown out your car window. No, you just don't just don't drink it all. Just no that worries. just come okay. through and just become turned into like a prune by the end of it all because you're so dehydrated. <laughs> uh, but you're in wine country, so it's fine. You know, it's, uh, you prune with the grapes, everything's the same. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, I think if you go to Wednesday, you don't technically have to go to the Jet Center. I think that if you got in there and were able to check in and then get yourself sorted, then. Thursday, you could load the car in. And, and as you can go. tell, I've done so much planning. I could tell this, obviously, from the copious notes you're taking. Um, how many of these things do I need to either get tickets to or register for or any of the above? Obviously, you said Quail's out. Yeah. Well, it's not out. It's just it's difficult to get tickets at this point in time for anyone with a sensible budget. Gotcha. Um, the Jet Center thing is... I think they're like $400 a ticket, maybe more. Perfect. Um, yeah, and then, the, but that's why I say the Thursday is the best bang for your bucks. It's free. Perfect. So Bring the whole family. Um, if you do that, because the cars leave from Pebble, they go out through the drive and they go over Bixby Bridge, they head to Big Sur, then do the loop and then come back out of Big Sur. And they stop in Carmel for lunch, which is when you want to see them walking down Ocean Avenue. I mean, you can't take, it's fun to see them and see them parking and whatnot, but you can't, you can look at them and ogle them all. And that's the best one. And then, Get super Carmel gets super busy and it's all fun. And everyone's like crushed, rushed around the cars and it's great. Cool. And that's what I would recommend, which is I've done in the past with my mother and father when we've seen the cars come in there, where you just go and just watch that, see them come in, you can have a look. But if you're there staying there, that's good. Then you get to see Carmel and you can pop over to Pebble and have a look in there and see what it's all like. Perfect. All I feel like I need to bring a transporter so we can bring up more cars to have more fun driving around. But maybe well, no, that's, that's the thing. See, it's a misnomer. So you can't drive around anywhere because it's so many cars there. You just have to just see the eye candy. It's about all you can do. There's no fun driving at that point. Hmm. It's just busy. I mean, everything's busy, busy. And it gets busier every year, like real busy. I remember, I think, one year we were at the Storks just trying to drive down into Monterey. It was like a parking lot. Yeah, you have to go the back way. No one's, this will be, since this is the airing week of, and no one's really going to be, they'll be like, damn it, if I've known this before, the back way when you come out of Monterey. Gotcha. But any, coming out of Laguna Seca is always difficult no matter what time you go. True. And then, if you ever did the terrible thing of staying in Salinas and then come through on the everyday, I mean, that's real bad. That gets the traffic when it goes down a one lane, it's real bad. That's what I didn't want to do, yeah. actually. So Yeah. No, you definitely, you did it right. Because um, we've got a house in Seaside. Gotcha. So that makes it easy because it's sort of, while it's not Carmel and not Monterey, I don't obviously have the Carmel and Monterey budget, but it is still a house and it's got enough room for my mum, dad, and myself. So it's good. Perfect. So yeah. And it's pretty close to Laguna Seca and then it's pretty close to Monterey. Mum wants to not do car stuff and then it's easy to just drop straight in from Asilomar through to Pebble at that point. I didn't even consider looking at Airbnb. Wow. Although that's, I'm sure that's all booked as well. And well, it depends how much you want to pay. I'm sure there's someone out there being like, you know, we can get them, <laughs> we can get them, <laughs> always. But uh, no, I mean, it is one of the best things to do if you like cars and if you just want to go and see it. There is enough stuff that can entertain everyone around, which is what my, I've been working with my mum. She's like booked like a winery tour where they go and do wineries for one of the days. She's going to spend a day at a spa. If my wife listens to this, you just lost. 
lost her to that, so she definitely will not be attending anything car related. So there you go. See, it's the same as my mum was. My, my mum was really into the Thursday. She likes that one, but like I said, the Friday, the Saturday when I'll be with dad doing other stuff, then that's something for her. And then Sunday, I've got to get her a ticket for Pebble, but my dad and I will go early, and then I'll leave my dad and I'll go pick mum up and then bring her back in for the normal time so she can log in, and then we can. It'll be actually the only time I'm going to stay at Pebble to see who wins. First wow. time I stay past like ten thirty, I like that. So it's going to be. Uh, and how how hard is Pebble to get into? To uh, go to? Uh, they've still got tickets. I think it's three seventy five to buy. Jeez, that sounds like one of the more uh, affordable things to go attend. Which is funny considering it's the the main event, but um, it's it gets bigger every year. Funnily enough, even the, as the price increases every year, there's always more cars every year, and there's more things that seem to be evolved on that golf course every year that's suited for the event. And there's always improvements that are made every year, which you've been. got, yeah, so it keeps you busy. This will definitely be something, obviously we're going to have a two-year-old with us. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, my son's birthday is on the 23rd, mm-hmm. so we'll have his birthday while we're up there. But as he gets older, to be able to go up there with him and do this and go to all these events will be... Since I've already seen him take cars apart. Exactly. I mean, that happened not but... Minutes ago. Minutes ago. But uh, speaking of that, since you've also got uh, dinner plans, I understand it as we're talking this through now, because that's how I run everything. Straight, I turn up late and then stop you from going to dinner. The fact that you can even keep me talking this long is impressive. Well, I try, so. I try. I think that's more to do with the, uh, the cause life than anything else. Perfect. It's all about the Rockies. <laughs> but uh, if anyone's <laughs> wanting to track you down online because they can't track you down in person because it was so difficult for me to even find you in person, where do they find you online? Online, uh, website is scarboperformance.com. And then we have a Instagram page, which is at scarboperformance. And uh, that's pretty much all we do. Hey, make it, keep it simple. Facebook I'll... doesn't get touched. There is an account. And I think the only thing that that account sees is maybe when I say to push my Instagram feed to Facebook. Okay. The times when I feel really horrible is when, for some reason, I get tagged in something on Facebook, and I click the link, and it logs me in and shows, like, 55 people that wish, wish me a happy birthday that I never responded to. Oh, then you're an asshole. Right? No, you're not. Yeah. You've just been yeah. very busy with your projects. Yes. So. But, Joe, it's been absolutely fantastic. And, again, I really, really appreciate you making the time. But for everyone else, you've got to subscribe. Someone else, at least three other people, so we can start making this a bit more popular with everyone. And they'll love you for it because I think this is the best podcast I've ever listened to. It's the best one I've ever done. See? Yep. Known true words have ever been spoken. You can also find us online at No Breaking on Facebook and Instagram. Funnily enough, I do update Facebook more than Joe does, but that still doesn't mean I'm going to respond to someone who wishes me happy birthday. <laughs> and then, at worst comes to worst, you can always track us down on lo- uh, the website at www.nobreaking.com, N O B R A K I N G. And you can always talk and catch us on there over email. But other than that, thank you so much, Joe. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you guys next time. Bye bye.